Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. You probably noticed the uh, extra lights and the uh, little control desk in the back of the church. You may have stumbled and tripped over the wires that have been taped down to the rug. Uh, those are there to remind you that tonight our children will be presenting their Christmas play. Uh, it is Christmas outside, out of the box. It is out-of-the-box Christmas. <laughs> Debbie gave me the wrong title, and I had to correct her. <laughs> but uh, our kids have been working very hard to, to make this presentation. It's, it's, uh, it's good stuff. It's worth coming to. But uh, one of the things you can do is you can be supporting uh, our kids and their ministry. You know, when children get up on stage, uh, they remember that a lot of people came to hear them and came to see them. And so... Uh, when you come out tonight, maybe you don't normally get out of the house on Sunday nights, but make a special effort tonight um, because we'll be having that, that Christmas story presentation. Uh, also, my lawyer would like me to tell you to be careful on the uh, wires on the floor and do not trip over them. You have been warned we are no longer liable. <laughs> That's problem. You know, as a, as a child in, in, in church, you, you, you have... Uh, uh, so many things going on. And, and as a kid, you don't really know what you're going to remember. Uh, it's just when you're in therapy and they ask you to go back through hypnosis and you start to remember things that happened. Uh, uh, the first church I remember is the first Southern Baptist Church in San Diego, California. It's where uh, I uh, received Christ when I was baptized there. But I, I, I remember just a few things uh, about that church. I, I remember it had a glue lamp structure with a, with a, a wood deck ceiling. And I remember s sitting in the pews and just looking up and wondering, how did they ever get up there? I never wondered how they changed the lights. Today I wonder how we're going to change these lights because, I mean, it, it's, it's more to it than you think. Um, I remember, um, uh, I, I don't know why, I was walking down the hallway and this, uh, this lady, well-meaning I'm sure, and I was going to say an old lady, but I was like five years old, so everybody was an old lady. I mean. But uh, anyway, this lady came up, and I kid you not, she grabbed me by the cook. I'd never seen this lady in, before in my life. She grabbed me by, how's your dad, young man? I don't know, how are we? <laughs> yeah. But the fondest memory I have in my earliest years in that church is that uh, we memorized Bible verses. And the oldest Bible verse I can remember putting to memory is Ephesians 4.32, Be ye kind one to another. I mean, that's, that's the way we did it back then. We taught little tiny children King James English. You know, talk about scholars walking around. Be ye kind. Doesn't that sound impressive? <laughs> But I, 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 I remember the verse, obviously, now, and um, it's the first verse I, re, I, I can recall committing to memory. Be ye kind uh, one to another. 
Uh, and I sort of suspect why it was in there. Whoever wrote the Sunday school lecture knew that, that uh, children live in what's basically a savage world where the biggest and the strongest dominate, that there's a hierarchy uh, of, of children, you know, sort of like a pecking order among uh, the childhood societies. And the person at the top is not there because of their intellectual brilliance nor because of their social sensitivity. They're usually at the top there because they're the meanest and the baddest and they'll beat the tar out of you if you step out of line. So, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a, a violent world that children uh, are, are living in. And so it'd be a good thing to say, be kind. Be ye kind. This, this is something children need to do. Think about it. A lot of what we teach children regarding courtesy has to do with just being kind to other people. Uh, we, we teach little children how to share. You know, don't, don't we do that? Little two-year-olds, they're happy they're playing with a, a truck. They don't even know it's a truck, but they're happy playing with it. And, and uh, some other kid comes up and tries to take it away. What do we do as a teacher? We go to the first kid and we say, now share. What does a two-year-old hear? Two-year-old hears, this kid's stealing my truck. <laughs> I mean, it's not until you're like 45 that you understand... <laughs> the concept of sharing. I mean, it just takes a long time, but, but a lot of, you know, take your turn, wait in line, don't push, uh, you know, things like that. A lot of it just has to do with teaching common courtesy, which is just a way of saying the rules of kindness in society. Uh, it's a kind thing when you're going through a door to just look behind you, see who else is coming. Uh, maybe you need to stand aside, hold the door for them if they've got packages or whatever it is. Uh, and th this, this is just something that's lost in our vulgar society today. I think I'm safe in calling our society vulgar. I mean, the, the, the most accomplished uh, communication skills is the use of profanity and trash-talking. You know, the ability to put others down seems to be just a, a great thing um, for us to do. And so uh, being taught kindness as a child uh, seems uh, uh, appropriate. Um, now, I'll, I'll confess to you, I, I have trouble with kindness. Um, if the opposite of kindness is a short fuse, I'm at the short fuse end, you know. Uh, if the opposite of kindness and you know, understanding and acceptance, the opposite end is judgmentalism and why are you doing that and let me tell you the error of your ways, I'm at the other end of that. I mean, kindness is not something that, that, that just comes naturally to me. I think there are people who are, who are genetically uh, kind. Uh, my dad was a kind man, uh, pastor uh, his, his whole adult life. And in all the years of pastoring, I never heard him once say a bad word about anyone at all. Even though I knew the people in the church, uh, some of whom deserved a bad word. But, uh, um, but he, you know, he just loved the people. And uh, Debbie's dad was the same way. I've, I've seen him weep. Weep over the people. Because uh, he, he wanted the best for them. He wanted better for them than they wanted for themselves. So um, kindness is, is a, sort of a rare quality. And uh, we, we come to the uh, Galatians 5.22, and it says, The fruit of the Spirit is kindness. It's to be kind. You know, and, and when you think about that, and, and set it into the context of Galatians, Galatians is all about the sweep of God's grace into our lives to save us, to reshape us, to remold us, remake us, and to bring us into the glory of the presence of God. So the, the, the book 
of Galatians is all about grace working in our lives. And, and as we saw spending those first four chapters, uh, particularly chapters three and four, and just really working through the purpose of the law and the giving of the law, uh, it, I, I hope you picked up the one message. The authentic gospel is all about what God does in us for his glory. It's not what we do to make ourselves acceptable to God. It is what God does in us to make us acceptable to him. It is the glory of God through Jesus Christ the Son worked in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We, and, and, and so as we've been looking at Galatians 5.22, we've been seeing that these are the fruit of the Spirit. Th these things are, are, are what God's Holy Spirit is doing in our lives for His glory to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ, to make us like God's own dear Son. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. That's what your life as a believer in Christ is about. To be conformed to the image of Christ. See, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, again, it's not works coming in through the back door. You're saved by grace, but now you must do these things before God will love you. You know, yes, you're saved by grace, but He's still sort of ticked off at you until you get the patience and the love, the joy, the peace, and the patience, the kindness, and the goodness, and all, and, and all those things. It, it's not as though Paul is saying, well, now that I've explained grace to you, let me explain to you works that you have to do. No, it's still grace. It is still the fruit of the Spirit. It is what the Holy Spirit is, is doing. And I hope you're picking up that the fruit of the Spirit is all about being conformed to the image of Christ. And so when the, we read that the fruit of the Spirit is kindness, what we're saying is when the Holy Spirit gets at work in your life and conforms you to the image of Jesus, you're going to be a kind person. It is the kindness of Christ that will well up within you and overflow into the lives of of others. See, Jesus was a strong, strong man. Jesus was uh, uh, able to confront his adversaries. He, he was able to uh, bring a word to the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He was able to stand before the religious leaders and resolutely proclaim the sovereignty of God above their religiosity. He was able to talk to those who were uh, just sort of captured by the world and captured by materialism and to, and to be very straight and very honest with you and very forthright with them so that they would know how far distant they were from the kingdom. Jesus was very strong. He was able to be confrontational, but not once was Jesus ever unkind. Not once was he ever bitter or angry. Jesus was always kind. The picture of the kindness of Jesus might be this, that uh, you remember the time the disciples were rowing across the lake and they're they're pulling on the oars and the water and so forth and um, and uh, they looked out and they see something out on the water and the, and uh, it, it occurs to them that this is Jesus. Jesus is walking on the water. This seems to be a noteworthy event. And so Peter calls out. You know, Peter, the thoughtful one who always sat down and considered all the options for. But but Peter calls out and he says, Lord, if it's really you, bid me come. You see, you're down on Peter because you know he's going to sink and he's going to blow the whole deal. But look, you wouldn't even pray that. See, you're going to see Jesus walking on the water and say, My, isn't that interesting? I'm going to tell the pastor about that. This will go viral, you know. I mean, that's what you're going to do. But Peter, he calls out, Lord, if that's you, bid me come. I don't know, it just occurs to me how our lives would be transformed every time we saw Jesus. We said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. Amen. Bid me come. Come on. 
So Jesus said, come on, Peter. Peter, who had failed physics, gets out of the boat. And here, here's the thing. Every, everybody's uh, you know, talking about, oh, this, this thing where Jesus walks on the water. What an impossible miracle. That can't happen. Jesus walking on the water. You know, well, we can sort of explain that. He's kind of like the creator of the universe. The water is, is, is his. He creates the water and, and what it does. He's, he's sovereign over all creation. So Jesus walking on the water is not as big a problem as the fact that Peter walked on water. How about that? How about that? I'm walking on water, guys. You see those waves there? Oh, boy. (laughs) And he looks around and he sees the waves and he starts thinking the way you and I think. You know, this... This, this isn't happening. This, this can't happen. And, and I don't know. Does he just sink or does he just slowly go down? I don't know what it is. But we know this. Peter's in a heap of trouble. And it's all his own fault. Jesus said, come. Peter stepped out in faith. Took a few steps. And retreated right back to the world's thinking. This isn't possible. We can't do this. And so the, 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 the reality of the world, as Peter understood it, displaced the reality of glory as Jesus was proclaiming it. And so Peter begins to sink down into the water. Now, here's what Peter deserves. He deserves Jesus to come over and say, Oh, yeah? You blew it that time again, didn't you, Peter? You should have had more faith, Peter. You should have kept your eyes on me, Peter. You know, all those things that we preach on the sermon on Jesus walking on the water. Yeah, Peter, you know, what a slouch of a believer you are. This is why you're glad that I'm not, you know, in charge here. Because this is what I'm doing, you know, at least in my mind. What did Jesus do? He reached down. He reached down to a drowning man. Pulled him up and put him in the boat. That's the kindness of God. When we are so admired in our sin, in our rebellion against God, and we could care less about what God's commandments say, and we could care less about what uh, our lives ought to be. We're more concerned about the world and more concerned about the opinions of, of the talking heads, and, and, and we're, just, we're just so worried about society and peer groups and all that stuff. We're just sinking down. And what we deserve is to go under. What we get is the hand of Christ lifting us up. Oh, the amazing kindness of Jesus. Oh, the amazing kindness of Jesus. That when people were down, he got down there with them to lift them up. Oh, the kindness of Jesus. When people would just ignore the reality of things and thought that they were just walking, just walking and coasting in their religion, was kind enough to tell them it's not religion, it's the Father's grace. Oh, the kindness of Jesus that comes to you every day. Don't ever doubt the kindness of Jesus. When you are sick and so sick that there's almost no hope for you, understand that by his strength, stripes you are healed. That sickness is not the last word. Cancer is not the last word. Parkinson's is not the last word. The last word is the glory of God in Jesus Christ. 
That is the last word. Oh, never doubt the kindness of God when you're lonely. Never doubt the kindness of God when it seems like everyone has turned against you. For Jesus said, I will not leave you like an orphan. I won't leave you lonely where you are. I will come to you. Our problem is we discount the friendship of Jesus and chase the friendship of the world. But oh, once we understand who Jesus is and we understand that what a friend we have in Jesus. Never doubt the kindness of God when you're hurting and when you're wounded. Never doubt the kindness of God when you're filled with grief and sorrow. Understand the kindness of God that brought Jesus to the edge of the tomb of his friend Lazarus. And Jesus there wept. Understand that the kindness of God sent Jesus who died on the cross that all of our sorrows and death itself would be put away so that the day would come when we stand in the glory of God and the scripture says God himself wipes away every tear oh imagine what that means he comes cradling your hand your head in his hand and wiping away the tears and they're no more oh never doubt the kindness of God never doubt the kindness of God who sent Jesus who didn't measure people the way the world did, but rather looked at people the way the Father does. You know, that's what kindness is. Kindness is when you look at people and you don't count worthy, unworthy. You don't do this, but sometimes I do. You know, should I spend time with that person or not? Or should I, should I give that person the time of day? You know, it's, it's, it's usually when, it, when, when you're walking along and, or, or you're driving along, whatever, and, and, and somebody's trying to intrude into your life. And you, and you just know that if I behave like a preschooler right now and I just pretend I don't hear them, I can keep going. Or do you stop? You say, well, how's it going? What, you know, what's going on in your life? You know, tell me about it. Kindness is stopping and talking and sharing and letting your life be immersed in the life of another person not because it, it's, 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 it's something that, that uh, is going to benefit you but because it's something they need see kindness doesn't look at worthy are you worthy or not kindness helps those who could never help you in return Kindness lifts up those who could never turn around and return the favor. I think that's why Jesus said, said, look, when you throw a banquet, when you throw a feast or a party, don't invite people who can invite you to their party. He says, you're just going to be trading stuff. Invite people who could never, ever throw a party for you. Because then when you give them all this stuff, then you have received nothing in return. And that's the kindness of God expressed in your life. See, kindness is all about that other people. Now, it, it, it may be that there are no annoying people in your life. You know, there's probably nobody in your life that just drives you crazy. You know, they walk into the room and you just say, oh, why didn't I leave 10 seconds there? There's, there's nobody in your life like that. But so imagine that there were. Kindness looks at that person and says, whatever it is, they're a human being with a need that I can meet. And so you listen to them talk about that boring story that you heard yesterday and the day before. Because it's the kind thing to do. Um, look, if, if there, there are probably some students in here. You know, if, if you're next to a student, uh, nudge them right now so they listen to this. You know, one, one of the things that, that goes on in, 
and, uh, and, and, and say a school setting or, or in the society of, of young people is that uh, we know who is cool and who is not cool. We know who it is okay to be seen with, and there are certain people you don't want to be seen with them. All right? Um, it's, it's a bad policy. Uh, there, there's the nerd over there. Don't want to be seen with him. Be seen with him. Someday he's going to be filthy rich. Okay? I mean, that just, just for your own sake. But, you know, but, but we have this thing with, you know, I, I, I don't want to be seen with him. He's, he's sort of, you know, do we use the word? Well, okay. But, uh, you know, uh, an undesirable has entered the room. You know, I don't, I don't want to be over there, you know, with that undesirable. I want to be with the cool people, with the, with, the, with the great people. Let me tell you something. Be ye kind one to another. You know? That kid that doesn't fit in, be ye kind. Because deep down, you're afraid you're the kid who doesn't fit in. Be ye kind to them. You know, this, this is why we talk about uh, the older kids reaching down to the younger kids. You know, it's a strange thing. Do you know the power? This is worth listening to. You, do you know the power that an 11th and 12th grader has in the life of a 7th grader? I mean, this, this, this is an amazing thing, too. Uh, you're, you're in the 11th grade, and suddenly, 7th graders think you're cool. You're not, <laughs> but they think you are. Do you know what it does for, for somebody in 7th grade, 6th grade, 7th grade? By 8th grade, they don't care. But 6th and 7th grade, you know, when a, somebody who's a senior in high school stops and says, Hey, buddy, how's it going? Give me five. We're going to play some pickup ball. Do you want to come? And you know that the, the, the sixth grader isn't going to make a basket. He knows he's not going to make a basket. But you asked him to come play ball with you. Do you know how that elevates the self-image of that, that, of that younger child, that younger kid? The, the, the power you have just by being kind one to another. Jesus is eminently kind eminently kind in coming to us. Uh, if you have your text, I hope uh, you've figured out Ephesians 4.32 is going to like be really big in this. Um, let, let, let me give you the, the, the front and the back of this verse, uh, sort of. Uh, when I was uh, taking piano lessons, uh, back in the dark ages, they, they called them clavichords then, but uh, when I was taking uh, piano lessons, the, the, the thing that my teacher told me, he said, look, if there's, if there's something you're trying to figure out in, in a piece of music, you know, you've got a couple of, of measures and you, in, you're trying to learn those measures, he says, don't just practice those measures. Practice the measure in front of it and behind it. Because you need to pin it into the whole text. And so you practice the measure you know, the two you don't, the measure you don't know, you pin it all together. That's what we're doing this verse. When you read the Bible and there's a verse you want to understand, understand the verse in front of it. Understand the verses behind it. We're going to look at the verse in front of Ephesians 4.32. And in Ephesians 4.30, Paul writes, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is given to every believer in Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that awakened you to the need for Christ. The Holy Spirit that convicted you of your sin. It was the Holy Spirit that convinced you that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's the Holy Spirit that gave you the courage of faith to confess Him as Lord and Savior. 
Savior. It's the Holy Spirit that worked the work so that you might be born again. It's the Holy Spirit that has sealed you to the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit that is the guarantee of your eternal security in the hands of God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't turn away from the work of the Holy Spirit. You're sealed for the day of redemption. We're not talking about losing salvation, but we're saying when we depart from the work of the Spirit and we retreat back into the things of the world and we start to adopt the attitudes of the world and we want to be like the world and do what the world says, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. Paul says don't don't be turning away from what God is doing in your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what that means. Let the bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander, those all by the way, words that have to do with personal relationships. Let the short fuse go. Let the anger go. Let the slanderous trash talking go. Let the gossip go. Let the malice and ill will go. Let all those things that are contrary to the nature of the Holy Spirit of God, let go of those things. Let them all be put away from you along with the malice. And that is the run into be ye kind. Now here's the thing. Paul says, get rid of the anger and the wrath and the malice and the clamor and you know, slander. Get rid of all those things, but do this. And so you would expect, what is the balancing act to the wrath and the malice and the slander and, 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 and the anger? What, what is the balancing act to that in the life of the believer? It is kindness. It is to just be kind to one another. Be ye kind one to another. So Paul says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Now, uh, the, the second two words then flesh out, fill out the meaning of the word kindness. We've already seen that it's really defined by who Jesus Christ is. And it's operative in our lives as we have a personal walk with Christ. So Paul says, be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted. Now the word there in Greek is... Um, um, a part of a family of words um, used throughout the, the New Testament. But one of the places that this word is used is when the Scripture says that Jesus looked and saw the people and he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The literal meaning of the word is his insides were tied up in knots. I mean, it, it, it was just like a kick in the gut to him to see the people hurting the way they were hurting and they didn't even know. A tender heart is a, is a heart that, that sees and appreciates and stands with a person who's hurting and can sympathize with the heartache and, and doesn't count and doesn't ask, is that heartache your fault? Is that heartache something you're doing? just says, I know you're hurting, and I'm going to stand with you in, in that hurt and in that pain. When Jesus looked upon us and he saw us wandering around in the pseudo-wisdom of the world, he saw that we were actually just like sheep meandering all over, sheep without a shepherd, and it tore him up. That's what he means. He had a tender heart. Oh, how children are longing for a tender heart in their dads. Yeah. Men, I hope you're not the kind of dad who, who says uh, the kinds of things like, my dad used to beat me, and so I'm beating my children. I turned out all right. A, you didn't. But, <laughs> yeah. 
But B, if you did, it wasn't because you were beaten within an inch of your life every time you turned around. I hope you're not a dad who figures that, well, my father neglected me emotionally and my dad didn't, didn't talk to me and he didn't put his arm around me. Uh, you know, my, my dad was too busy for me, so I, I guess that's okay. Kids are resilient. They'll turn out all right without me. I hope you're not like that. Children are longing for a dad with a tender heart. A dad who, when they cry, will kiss a boo-boo. The greatest healing power known to medical science. <laughs> Wives are longing for tender husbands, men. They're longing for men who will, who will just go the extra mile and try to understand and, and do the things that bring uh, the, the kind of love and compassion into the marriage um, that, that is needed. I'm picking on the men because I are one, okay? It, it's just, and I, I know how it works with us guys. We're afraid of being tender-hearted because, because you know, that's, that's not what we're supposed to be. We're, we're, we're strong men. There was nobody ever stronger than Jesus who was unafraid to weep, unafraid to be moved with compassion by the suffering of others. Oh, how many marriages would be transformed if there was simple kindness returned to it? I, I was uh, reading some years ago a, a book by a marriage counselor, and uh, his, his technique, among other things, but his technique was that a couple would come and talk to him, and, and uh, they weren't getting along, shall we say, and, uh, and they, were, they were contentious with one another, and uh, they would come and say, you know, what are we going to do? We're just fighting with each other all the time. He said, look, I don't care if you like each other. Pretend you do. What? He says, yeah, just pretend you do. He says, for the next week, turn to the guy, he says, I want you to open the door for her every time she gets in the car, even if she's driving. But, you know, I want you to open the door for her. And then he turned to her and say, and you lean over and unlock his side, okay? He said, I want you to open doors for her. I want you to carry packages for her. I want you to help her on with her coat. I want you to do all those silly things you did when you first started dating and you were trying to impress her. I want you to just act like it. I don't care if you like her or not. Just pretend you do. Then he'd say to her, you know, same thing. Just, just pretend you like him. No. They'd come back a week later and invariably they'd say, you know, for the first couple of days it was all an act. Next couple of days it was fun. And after that we started liking each other again. Simply by being kind to one another and tender-hearted. And then uh, Paul goes on in, 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 in Ephesians uh, 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Now, um, the, the usual word in the, in the Greek New Testament for forgiving means to set something aside. Someone owes you money, you dismiss the debt. You just say, well, it, it's, it's, it's no longer uh, a, a consideration. In fact, the word for forgiveness is the same word that you would use if you were to dismiss the church or dismiss a crowd. Uh, it, it, you can go now. You, know, you, you can leave. Uh, so that, that's the normal word for forgiveness. It's not the word here. The word for forgiveness here is a word built on the word for grace. Grace is charis. This is the word you charizomai. It means gracious. Be gracious to one another. That includes forgiving 
but it goes even beyond that. You know, as believers in Christ, what are we? We're children of grace. Now, what, what is Galatians all about? It starts with grace, the grace of God who just gives to us freely out of the wealth of the treasury of heaven, all the blessings and all the glory. The God who graciously showers his mercy upon us. We're children of grace. And so Paul in, in, in Ephesians uh, 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 5, 4.32, uh, Paul says, And be gracious to one another, as God, for Christ's sake, has been gracious to you. Oh, how many homes would be transformed today if husbands and wives, moms and dads, would just seek to be gracious to one another and forgiving to one another. I don't know. Um, have you ever known a marriage that did not need forgiveness? Have you ever known a marriage that did not need gobs of grace and understanding? You know, uh, sometimes people will say, marriage is 50-50. You ever hear that? Marriage is, and then somebody will come along, no, 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 marriage is 100-100, you give 100%, 100%. Yeah, that sounds great. Let me tell you, it's all balderdash. <laughs> marriage is 40-60, 35-65, 40-60, 50-50, It's never equal. And folks, it doesn't even average out to equal. During the course of the years of marriage, somebody always gives more than the other. And it, it, there's a lot of reasons for that. One person might be sick. One person might have emotional needs. One person um, might not have the capacity to give in, in the same way as the other. I mean, on and on it goes. If you're expecting marriage ever to be equal or even to average out being equal, you're going to be sadly disappointed. But here's the thing. When you are gracious to one another and forgiving to one another and tender-hearted with one another and kind with one another, you don't even keep score anymore. You remember Randy quoted from uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. He says, what is love? Love is patient. Yeah. Well, I'm glad he did that because the very next word, and love is kind. It's the hallmark of love. It's a kindness that doesn't keep score and doesn't keep record and doesn't try to average everything out, but love simply wants to be gracious and let the grace of God be known. Okay. So be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now back to Galatians, in Galatians 5.22. The fruit, the work of the Spirit is kindness. And the reason for that is that the work of the Spirit is to conform us to the image of Christ. And so as believers in Christ, it is our privilege to be kind to others as a way to exalt the glory of the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit, as a way to make the presence of Christ in our lives known in the lives of others. Let me give you just a little bit of homework to do. I'm going to ask you this week to worship God with acts of kindness. You know, a lot of you automatically open doors for people. You, know, you go on, somebody's behind you, open the door, you stand aside, you let them through. You do that, don't you? Everybody say yes. I don't care if it's true or not. Just say yes. Okay. <laughs> Understand when you open that door, what did God do for you? And when you let another go first, what did God do for you? Yeah. 
Just praise and glorify the Father. Let me give you a hard one. That one's easy. Here's the hard one. You've been sitting in traffic for 30 minutes, right? You've been sitting in traffic for 30 minutes because one of the lanes is closing, and the people in that lane have to get over into your lane. And what that means is they've been passing you for 30 minutes, right? Because they're, they're cutting in front of you. And by the time you get to the front of the line, there's this guy who's trying to get over in front of you. What do you do? You think to yourself, I've already let in about a hundred cars already. And I'm not going to. And so you start playing, you, you guys do this. You start playing chicken with him. He keeps coming over, you keep coming up. He comes over, you keep coming up. You're thinking to him yourself, he's merging, I'm not merging. Insurance says he's merging, therefore it's his fault. You know, okay. You know, you're doing all this legalistic stuff. Here's the deal. Worship and glorify the Father by just backing off. Let the guy in say, God bless you, brother. The time it took me to sit here, I got to worship God. But that's going to be the hard one. The easy one is when you're going to go home and you need to be tender-hearted and gracious and kind to the people in your household. That, that'll be the easy one. But it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. You know, and the world doesn't, doesn't really like this kind of kindness. The world isn't into that. But folks, if you learn to be kind and tender-hearted towards others, you will find yourself walking in the footsteps of the greatest man who ever lived. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious